It's okay, it's alright. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Amma ba'd, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Right, folks, hope you guys are all well, inshallah. Nice to see some new faces. Abbas Khan, the chopper is in, in the house, yani. that's someone. Huh, Waqas? When the chopper is in. The Khurshid, are you kidding me? They're useless, yara. The Khurshid and Hussein family. I told everyone yani, publicly, let me tell Sana, let me tell Humaira, let me tell Zahra, let me tell Bushra, useless family, useless family. Let me tell Adnan Khurshid, yani, who's married into them by way of his brother, Muhammad Usman Khurshid, useless family. There we go, that's done. Waqaz Khan, remember the Husseins, yeah? Useless family. But I'm just glad that Abbas is in the house. Bradford, yeah? Missions. Drove, I hope, he, hope you drove, not him. Okay, standard, tell Right. Mubarak, uh, Shazada? Umrah Mubarak. <laughs> Shazada was. Colonel. Colonel Shazad. People were very impressed with his military style tactics. Operations. In certain, certain style, yeah. Different from Lala. The chief's got his own style, isn't it? Where's the chief gone, Yara? Chief Lee? You know? No, he's not MIA. Chief's training, bro. He's straight. Chief's with his personal training. You know when chief walks in? It's going to be one of those bond moments, you know that, yeah? When he comes in, we're going to stop the lesson. And we're just going to go, wow, mashallah. Just yeah, to teach him a lesson. Because he wants the attention, isn't it? You know, coming in like that, with thorps out like that, whatever. He's got to be dealt with. You know what I mean? Right. Where's my Umrah folks here? MashaAllah. MashaAllah. Right, alright folks. We're not here to waste time, okay? People are very angry. I think we're going on too long and stuff like that. And not speaking about the right stuff. And Ayaz, I saw you there, MashaAllah. Wa alaykum assalam wa barakatuh. So it's not difficult to say salam upon the portal and um, show some love. Right, okay, so before we start, we've got a number of questions from last week. Last week, of course, alhamdulillah, it was from Madinatul Manawara. Uh, and it was a nice lesson. And uh, there were a number of questions that uh, folks had that they wanted answering at the beginning. Um, uh, or rather, Shazad said that they'd be answered in the beginning. Yeah, and so, khalas. So the first question, Vais Salange, is that uh, the Basmala. If the Basmala is not part of Surah Al-Fatiha, and as you remember, that is the class position, it's the Hanbali Madhab, Shaykh Uthameen's position, even though, fi qalbi shay, even though in my heart, yani, you know, I think that there's some flexibility on the matter, which is why, well, I'll come to that point in a second. Um, does the Ma'mum recite it for himself or does the Imams suffice for everyone? And all of the scholars say that it is recommended for a person to recite it, yani yourself or oneself. Okay? Um, it is meant to be a, an individual effort, just like the isti'adha or the ta'awwudh, a'udh billahi min shaitan rajim So that also continues yani, at the personal or at the individual level. Right? So that, that's that. And then number two, is it recited only after the isti'adha? Answer, yes. Isti'adha, ta'awwud, a'udhu billahi min ashtan rajim is recited at the beginning and none of the scholars, and actually just common sense, doesn't indicate that it should be repeated. Because a ta'awwud is a general kind of isti'adha from anything else uh, before you start Qur'an. Once you start the salah, what are you doing, yani, that you need to be making ta'awwud again, right? Uh, normally, the way that we, you know when it comes to adab, 
of the Quran. The adab of the Quran uh, in general, so that this may be make it easier, then you can apply it to the salah in a lesser, fa- in a lesser fashion. I say lesser because the Quran is pure uh, Quran, whereas the salah is Quran plus personal wording. So they can't be compared exactly, but very close. So when it comes to the Quran, it is a sunnah to recite the basmala before every surah. So if you are opening the Qur'an and you're about to start your recitation and it's at the beginning of a surah, then you'll see the Bismillah there and you'll, say, you'll recite Bismillah rahim But before all of that, because Allah says, When you recite the Qur'an, then seek refuge of Allah. So when you open up the Qur'an, the first thing you say is, So that's straightforward, that's a nice easy scenario. You open up the Qur'an, you say, And you say, rahim if you're at the beginning of a surah. If you are not at the beginning of a surah, then it is sunnah to not recite the basmala. It actually doesn't make any sense. Then you are changing the whole concept of the basmala if you recite the basmala. Now I know that the idea in our minds is that you recite the basmala to start. Actually, that's not the case. Bismillah is when you start something. The basmala is when you start at the beginning of a surah. If you're starting in the middle of a surah, the only thing that you recite is A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajim. And then you might say whatever the, the middle surah verse is of the... Uh, you know, you might say, For whatever reason, you've left out the first two verses of Surah Al-Mu'minun, so you jump straight in. But the Awud bin Ashrajim is there, okay? Uh, so that's the basic adab of the Qur'an. Now, now when moving to the Salah, the reason the Isti'adah is there at the beginning is to protect the entire yani, Salah from Shaitan, the Qira'ah from Shaitan, and once done, it's enough. And then the Bismillah Rahman Rahim is recited. What Salaj makes the point is actually a very good point. That if it is part of the Quran, uh, part of the Fatiha, then it makes complete sense for it to be repeated every time you recite the Fatiha, each rakah. So you say to the Bismillah Rahman Rahim, Alhamdulillah. Now, if you are saying it's not part of the Fatiha, then why would you recite it again the second rakah, and the third rakah, and the fourth rakah? You get the point? And the truth is, is that there is no logic behind it. There's no logical answer to this. It's just a continuation of the idea that the Prophet ﷺ recited the Basmala. And you're either going to say that that's what you do, or you're going to say that it's obligated because it's part of Fatiha. What are we going to say? We are going to say that it is a sunnah to recite the Basmala every single rak'ah. Not the ta'awud, that's only once. But the basmala at the beginning. And by having this sunnah in play, you cover both possibilities of either it being part of the Surah Al-Fatiha, so you're safe on that side, or it's not part of the Surah Al-Fatiha and it's there just as a beginning or a blessing or whatever. I personally, I want you to know, I treat the basmala like an obligation. I do not recite any rak'ah without the basmala. Okay? That's my personal practice, my personal position. I don't want to impose it upon anyone else. Sheikh Uthameen has made this position, it's not part of Fatiha. Therefore, if it's not part of Fatiha, then it's by definition mustahab, sunnah only. If a person leaves it, the prayer is valid. If a person leaves it or forgets it or doesn't intentionally recite it, it does not affect the validity of the prayer. Okay? But if it's going to be said, then to answer the question, it comes before every Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen as she asks. Okay? And once, it, once it's ruling individually, it's a sunnah of the prayer and not an obligation. Even though myself, my personal self, I treat it like an obligation. I feel something that it needs more than just, uh, uh, just sunnah. The next question that would then apply, what about then the surahs that you recite? Okay? So, uh, Sheikh Uthameen is of the position, all right? Um, and we're going to come to that. Uh, we're going to come to that. And he 
uh, will say that every time you recite a surah from the beginning, you need to recite the basmala. Okay, so if you read Qulhullah Ahad, for example, you have to say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Qulhullah Ahad in your salah. Okay, um, but he doesn't mention an evidence for that, and there is no clear evidence from the Prophet ﷺ that he did that, and so I don't know if I'm happy with that. And certainly other scholars differed with him. Sheikh Ibn Baz, his colleague uh, and his senior, his opinion was that uh, a person does not need to ever repeat the Basmala ever again because the first one suffices. So the one yani, which you do at the beginning, yani, Bismillah ar rahim has covered for all of the suwar, all of the, yani, in a general sense, which yani, might be the case, yani, might be the case, Allahu A'lam, okay? Because obviously even that's a big statement. Yani, how is it covering for it? But uh, I think that we should recognize it to be a sunnah in principle. Okay, yep, 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 yep. It's written on the top, Bismillah ar rahim so you automatically read it. You automatically read it when you're, oh, when you're reading a mushaf, but what about when you start off and, you know, the common pack practice is that you might be starting like, you know, by, uh, what do they call it? What, ruku? They call it ruku? Is that a Bataan word? Ruku, yeah? What is that? Is that hizb? Ruba? Ruku is ruba? I don't think so. No, ruku is an Urdu word. It's an Urdu, it's a pack word, definitely. It's not, a, it's not Arabic. Ruku, I think, what is, how many pages is ruku? Huh? A side and a bit. A side and a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's less than a thuman. Less than a thuman, because one juzah is 20 pages. So, taba'an, one and a half, one and a half pages more than eight a thuman. Sah? A thuman is, if you did thuman times 1.5, you get 12. A. Yeah, I think it's actually, you know what? It's between a thuman and ruba. It's like whatever that is. Yeah, ruku is not that. Ruku is not hizb, not thuman, not ruba. Just pack saying that we want a little bit of the, of the cake as well. Ain, yeah, it's gone. Ain, it says an ain as a marker. Al ishara here, ain. You're kidding. In in the in the ain underneath it, it says how many ayat? No, Allah, yeah. See, this is me off the game, man. South African Qur'ans are the best. There's no doubt about it. My entire childhood was hunting for those yani, South African Qur'ans. They were the sickest. And you know, I'll tell you something else. How white was that paper? <laughs> How flipping white? It's like being bleached white and then bleached again just in case. You could never ever imagine paper that white. It's the best paper ever. You know South Africans, they want like... You know, actually, I'll tell you something. Oh, Lala, Lala, please. Lala, come on, come on, chief, 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 chief. Come on, come on. Oh, mashallah. Allah. <laughs> Allah, he's become religious now, that you know. Religious banda. Mashallah. So, um, what was I going to say? The, uh, uh, when I went to South Africa, you know, you know, you know the, the difference between when you mention the word South Africa and Muslim or Islamic, there's always an understanding, there's an upgrading quality. So, for example, we're in a haramain. If they think you're a bit tramp and whatever, whatnot, then you're Pakistani Bengali. But if they think yani, you're someone special, they say, are you from South Africa? They understand that this is like a class above, you know, whatever. And, you know, a pack mushaf, yani, you saw in the state of that, right? Compared to, uh, yani, you know, if you were given the, the South African one, you know you've been looked after, right? I mean, just at the cover level. You've got some cheap red yani, glitter behavior on the, on the Brelvi one, all right? The pack one. And then you've got, 
you know, some of that sick brown, green, thin leather, nice class. Class. Just a bit of class, you know what I'm saying? A bit of, oh, yeah, nice little gold stamp on it. You're loving that. And when you go to South Africa, exactly the same. South African Muslims, they are so respected. They're like one million people, I think, in a nation of I don't know how many. And they run the country. Politics, money, they've got all the soap, they've got all the bleach, they've got all the rice, they've got all the flour. You know, all the major brands, they've got all the restaurants. They, you know, it's like uh, uh, the shops, they're wanting to put halal uh, in the thingy, in the uh, uh, windows. You know how it's like here, you have a tiny little clip in halal that you've got to get your, get your bloody magnifying glass out for. They're embarrassed and they're izzatman kind of people. Anyway, respect to the South Africans. What are we talking about South Africans for? Oh yeah, ruku. What are we talking about ruku for? Oh yeah, so we're starting, if we start at ruku or ruba or hizb in the middle, Pax will say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And you know what? If you start reading Quran without it, they'll slap you. It's like built in. Impossible that you can recite Quran without saying Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And that's actually, it's making a mockery of the concept of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Because this is not a start. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is not to start. If you want to start, you say Bismillah. Yeah, need the concept. Yeah. Of a topic. So it's variable then. We could have said that at the beginning when we were arguing how long it is. Come on, Yara. That was the first thing you should have said, that the ruku is not a set number of verses, that it varies. Switches the game. Abbas, we missed you, man. Wallahi, we missed you, man. He should have come Umrah, man. And you sent the guy and he's got married one day, left his babi at home, yeah? Okay? Let's make it clear now. Let's make it public. Guy gets married, leaves his baji at home. And gets off on Umrah. The fish is that? Respect. respect. I'll give you respect. His wife's going to be beating him every day. That's not respect. Abbas is the guy who should have come. Single bandha got nothing else better to do. Right, okay. No, go on then. Two days. She's my baji. I didn't say she was your baji, you baggy. Yeah, yeah. Louis, if you want to get into technicals, yeah, I never said she was your flipping baji. That'd be weird. You marrying your own baji, isn't it? Huh, Lala? Chief, yeah, I sort him out. Guys come back here and they're all over the place. Marrying Baji, not Baji, my Baji, your Baji. Chief, huh? Onion Baji, that's exactly what he is. <laughs> what would you suggest for someone who has to travel a fair amount for business and therefore has to pay a large sum per month for business expenses, which you would then have to return to him at the end of the month? I don't think it's permissible personally for use of credit cards. That's my, my, my photo from, from the longest time. Whether for X or Y reason, I was doing faith essential faith uh, essentials uh, yesterday, and in the Q, in the Q and A, the Americans were making a big thing about if we don't use it, if we don't use it, we don't have credit history, we don't have credit history. Who gives the monkeys about credit history? Who gives the monkeys about credit history? Yeah, we got to have it to you know uh, you know get more credit. That's the problem. They've created a system around the credit card where if you don't use it, then you can't get credit. And credit now becomes absolutely essential for everything. And that's only a state of mind that you believe that I have to have the right or the ability to be able to borrow. And we've got to take that whole thing down and rebuild the concept and say, listen, you only buy what you can afford, what you got the money for. Khalas, right. You might be a complete plum, yeah, you might be a heel, might be. Okay. Uh, we said that if istiftah, not iftiftah, istiftah in the salah is not an obligation. Okay, it's a sunnah. All right. With regards to uh, adhkar or dua after an ayah, 
Is this only permissible in Nafil prayer or can one do that in obligatory prayer? You know, Shaykh Al-Albani, Rahmatullah, was very strict on this issue. And I have to say it's best to follow him in that. In that it only seems to have ever been narrated in the Nafil prayer. Okay, in the night prayer. Now here's the problem. Shaykh Uthameen is a big fan of the idea that if something gets established in the Nafil prayer, it becomes a rule for the obligatory prayer. We covered this issue in detail in which chapter? Anyone can remember? So this is a difficult question. And I wouldn't know the answer, and I'm the one who taught it. But and then I remember reading the example, and then I said, oh yeah, I remember now. Who can remember what chapter we studied this issue in detail? Yeah, I need that whatever is established in a sunnah prayer becomes the norm for the obligatory prayer unless there's an evidence to suggest that it isn't. It was in the chapter of uh, praying sitting down. When we do- talked about the prayer of sitting down and whether it was permissible and so on and so forth and whatever. Anyway, you can re- re- that's last year, right? Yeah, I think that was last year. So in any case, so going by that principle then anything that's been narrated in the Nafil prayer is allowed to then do in the loud prayer as well. You get that point? So that's that, that, those are the scholars that are going to be on that side. They're going to say, absolutely, you're listening to the obligatory prayer. And you know, I just want to also say that, you know, sometimes you've got to step back from the fiqh and look to the actual spirituality of this as well. The reason that you want to express and say, subhanAllah, or Allahumma lakal hamd, or say something, is because you're reacting to Qur'an. And the reality is that most people do not recite the night prayer and they do not recite yani, the, you know, they just don't do that, okay? And so, by saying no, you're just killing off the concept altogether because they're not going to pray the night prayer. So at least allow people to interact with the obligatory prayer, which they are going to hear, and, you know, allow them to actually, you know, feel it and to reflect and to sigh and to, to make dua and make istighfar. So I've got something in my heart which really feels bad if we take this away. At the same time, in exact contradiction, we also have this concept that the Sunnah prayer is a much lighter prayer than the obligatory. It's like obligatory light. Yeah? So there are things which are allowed, which we feel very comfortable allowing in the Sunnah prayers that we don't in the obligatory. Like, for example, more movement. Okay? Like, for example, sitting down. Like, for example, walking to open a door more than one step, you know, a couple of steps. For example, not facing a qibla. We know about that. For example, on a riding beast, we know about that. For example, and I haven't covered this in a lot of detail, but this is now going into intrinsic details. For example, small amounts of food and drink. There are some narrations from the companions that in the long, long night prayers, they used to take small sips. Potentially might be possible, you know, a one hour, two hour type prayers. That's not agreed upon and it's controversial because it's individual companions. But it does indicate that that would never be dreamed of in the obligatory prayer. The issue of dua in non-Arabic. Most scholars will give you a pass on that for sunnah, nafal prayers, but they won't want the obligatory prayer to be affected by that. They want to protect the obligatory prayer. It's an important institution that can't just have every part coming in and saying, it's not important for me to know Arabic, I can just do it yani, in Urdu or in English or whatever. The dua in sujood, for example, that concept, the whole like, discussion of can I make it in English or not. We, in the end, allow them. We even in the end allow them in the obligatory prayer. Why? Because we know that people are not praying their sunnah prayer. They're rubbish at sunnah. And so if we say, no haram, no haram, they end up basically doing an obligatory prayer, which they have no dua that they understand in it because they're doing it in Arabic, which they learned from their mom and dad and they don't know what it means. Yes? So there's no connection. So there is a difference between sunnah and obligatory prayers and the scholars are in a difficult position in how to protect the obligatory prayer from all of the concessions of the Sunnah prayers. You either take a hardline stance, right? 
It's actually very similar. Always when I think of Abbas, I think of hardcore Hanafis, right? Okay? Because these, are, these boys are the choppers, right? But when you think about the Hanafis, they've taken that clear uh, stance, right? So let's look, at, let's look at the Hanafi model as a study. When it comes to a hat, they will make you feel like you have not prayed without wearing a hat. They will make you feel like you have not fulfilled your oblig obligation if you don't do the sunnah. Not just the sunnah, but the nafal. They will make you do, make you do, make you do, make you do. Okay? We, everyone knows that. And most of us have some kind of connection to that. Now let's look at the consequences. What can we say? If we are going to make a fair assessment of that approach, what's our conclusion? Pro or con? It's a 50-50. See, we had a pro and immediate con. No, but I mean, you know. Sugar, they come mixed as well. No. Heavy ones indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I think the girls can have that one. I think they liked that one last time. I think the lads will look after that one there. So, con. Empty, robotic, no one knows what's going on. Duck, 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 Lots of quantity, no quality. Pro. For most people. For most, yeah. Of course, we're speaking very general. We can't account for everyone. Pro. Sunnah is preserved. No one preserves the Sunnah with the Hanafis. Look at the Shafis, Arabs, out the window. Malikis and whatever, out the window. Hanbalis, Miani, whatever. No one preserves the Sunnah units, structure, adab, uh, surah of the people of what Muslim means to be, hat, niqab, thing, like the Paks, like the Hanafis. So it's always going to be pro and con. There's no straight obvious answer. So you got to understand now, if you appreciate that the strict approach versus the very relaxed approach has these kind of pros, it's the same with Quran. When you're trying to get your kids to memorize Quran, you either go in strict and make sure they get it done, and, yani, or you do the other approach and you risk the whole fact that they turn off against it you know, completely, which we all know about. People that say it was the worst experience ever, I hated it. And now you know, when they grow up and you know, reading it, say, oh, I remember my thing getting beat and I remember getting this. And they've got some kind of complex, whatever. Fair point, pro and con. Versus those that we say, oh, it's all about love and they've got to enjoy it and whatever, whatnot. which is all kalam fadi because you know, the kids are very clever these days and they put on a show and they, and, you know, they just turn off and the parents will often say that, uh, you know, for them to really, really want to is more important, even though the actual figures show maybe one in ten. And I'm speaking anecdotally, I mean, one in ten will be the ones who will actually memorize it that way. So what do you go for? Do you go for the one in ten that did it really out of the love of their own heart? Or do you go for the six out of ten that did it or were forced? And then later, the majority of the six out of ten will appreciate what happened. Always I'm going that way. I'm always going that way. You should be Hanafi, mate. I am Hanafi. <laughs> yeah. I'm hardcore Hanafi, bro. Hardcore. You know, by the way, my kunya when I was young was Abu Hanifa. 100%. 100%. And you know, there's only one person on this planet alive at this moment. Alive. Others too have passed away, alayhi rahmatullah, who actually know that fact from other countries and other places and other studies and other activities. No, my father never had no clue. This was a nom de guerre. Oof, heavy ones, bro. This wasn't any kunya. This was nom de guerre. I know you have no idea what that means, so check it out. Yeah, Google. So, uh, uh, so, 
I, I, what I want to say is that you can see that a, that a person's going to have to shift. You know, there are formative hadith in this. Yeah, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're asking yourself, what approach am I going to take? Obviously, the approach of the 21st century is the softly, softly, liberal, liberal kind of approach. And like I said, it is wrong to rubbish it completely. There's a lot to criticize in it, but it is wrong to rubbish completely because there's no doubt that someone who grows up with a, a, you know, a passion and a love that comes from some kind of amazing teacher that didn't have to get strict is an incredible experience. But that's so rare and it's so difficult and it's not realistic. It's like when I teach Protect This House, I just I jump straight over the, the, the homeschooling section. I say, just forget that, put it to the side. Yeah? Because homeschooling is the solution. There's no doubt about it. But who can homeschool? Homeschool is a mission. Cost, education, uh, meaning uh, education of the homeschoolers, I mean. Right? It's not just some pack, pick, open up a book and say, right, you know, do this behavior. You need to know the content and then you, know, you need to know how to teach. Two separate things. Right? Uh, then you've got to have resources at home, space, being able to make the divide, double income normally required, or one big income to cover. There's so many things. And so... Homeschooling is great to speak to a couple of people about and push your friends and your, you know, your own social circles. But when it comes as a solution to people, homeschooling is not a solution. The masses can't afford it. The masses are not ready for it. And you've got you to tell them about how to survive in the schooling system. So what I mean by that is that uh, uh, it's, it's great. You know, the majority of the Muslims are going to send their kids to the masjid, sit in front of the Mulvi, who's got 20, 30 other people, and you can't have a tarbiyah experience. You know, like again, in Protective's house, we make a differentiation between uh, ta'aleem and tarbiyah. Ta'aleem is not an emotionally, intellectually invested process. Ta'aleem is a data transfer. It's cold, it's simple, there's knowledge, there you go, take it, download it, and that's it. That's what happens in a masjid. And sometimes it even hurts as well, you might get slapped. You know what I'm saying? Whereas tarbiyah is a person who's one-to-one, his investment, you're cultivating, you're nurturing, you're moving with the person, you're kind of, you know, and only the rich people can afford that. An individual private Qur'an teacher, an, an individual environment, yani a person who's got all the time in the world. You know what I'm trying to say? So, yani, um, uh, so it's all good and well, you know, saying this is the best, this is the best, but if it's the best only for a tiny group of people, it's not a solution for the masses. So, um, so there's no doubt that the love approach is the best approach and it's a sunnah approach, but it's not a realistic approach yani, in our people, masses and whatever. So then when you go the other way, which is the stricter way and you're just going to have to, yani, you know, some people are going to fall by the side. So you just say it is what it is. And if you think to yourself that, you know, someone's going to hate it now, you hope and pray that when they grow up, they have the sense to realize that it was worth it. And I, whenever I have doubt about this, obviously we all say, I turned out all right. Everyone says that, right? You know, when the whole beating issue comes to the front. We got beaten like flipping silly. Bro, we've been, yani, bro. You know what I'm saying, huh, Abbas? You know what I'm saying, bro. Huh? So, uh, we turned out, right? Nothing wrong with getting good beating. Well, let me just rephrase that, okay? Obviously, totally illegal, yeah? And I would never advocate anything illegal like that whatsoever. But I'm saying in my case, it was all right. Um... So there's that. But there's also this hadith which I always use as my, uh, my, my, my rock. And that is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that he said that there will be people who will be dragged to Jannah in chains. Dragged to Jannah in chains. This hadith is the formative hadith for this school of thought. 
You get what I'm saying? It doesn't actually. This hadith has been very different of. What does it mean? Does it mean people be forced to become Muslim? Does it mean that the, this is referring to those uh, who were slaves and then they were given the dawah and then they became Muslim? There's many different opinions. Okay. For me, I'm very happy with my own understanding. All of them are okay and all of them are, are at work. My point is that someone did not expect a benefit and they received the benefit. And it was against their wishes, but it worked out well for them. That's what I understand this hadith to mean. There are people, Yani, who don't understand and later on they do. So I'm, I'm, okay. I'm okay with the strict approach, okay? Because, and especially at a time where it's disappearing. Yeah, so, you know, 20 years ago, you might, we might have a discussion. 20 years later, where now no one's praying sunnah, or no one's wearing a hat, or people have, niqab is now only yani, worn by, the, by immigrants, and not by the young people who are born now. I, I mean, I look at the millennial generation. They're like, very few of them wear niqab. Am I right? Yeah? I mean, uh, uh, it's their mums, and it's, their, it's my generation, if they're not, yeah, they got kids here or whatever. You know, this thing, is it? This, this, I'll keep hitting this thing. You know, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, this whole microphone behavior. Anyway, so, so like I said, the answers to this, so just as you saw how subjective that discussion just was, that five, ten minutes of, you know, going through back and forth approaches, the same is going to then apply for when someone asks me, Sheikh, is it allowed to recite, uh, to make du'a in English in the Fard prayer? It's the same scenario. How much do we protect the obligatory prayer? And if we go in too hard and say no, or, uh, you know, uh, learn Arabic, you know, or learn the sunnah. The sunnah is better for you. Why are you even thinking in English? Why are you doing it in Urdu? Why, why? You're just going to alienate people. You're going to lose, lose them entirely. So it's that catch-22, which is a difficult situation. Anyway, in relation to repeating the Fatiha for the one who makes a mistake, we established that this is not applied to the ma'moom. Okay, make, make sure that it's clear everybody understands. It's not ma'moon, it's ma'moom with the M at the end. That this does not apply to the ma'moom. But what if the ma'moom misses the fatiha as he joins the prayer late with the imam already reciting a surah? So he recites the fatiha, but incorrectly. Is that ma'moom's prayer still valid? I, I literally no idea what's going on there. Like literally no idea. If the sisters... Huh? So he misses the fatiha. He misses fatiha. He joins the prayer. Yeah. And then he recites fatiha. That guy, yeah, the late one. Yeah. yeah. Or he recites it incorrectly. He does. Yeah. Beside, behind an imam. That's the good thing about praying behind the Imam, you can do what he likes. Yep. Good thing about behind that's why you should all pray behind the Imam. <laughs> imam Miskin is there to soak up all of your mistakes. Sick guy, Imam. Right. If the sisters are praying Jum'ah and the speaker cuts out, we already said that Jum'ah has to be. That, this is not Jum'ah. I think they mean Jum'ah, right? Okay, Jum'ah. All right. We already said that Jum'ah has to be prayed in congregation. So, what are the options that they cannot pray individually, can they? Or do they pray individually and convert the Salat al-Dhuhr? That's my position. They convert the Salat al-Dhuhr. Jum'ah was not obligated, obligated upon them in the first place. That's it. Sumera. Could you repeat which three and two options? Huh? I can't repeat any three or two options because I have no idea. But I can tell you that the options that are allowed in... Oh, okay, in congregational Salah. Non-Jum'ah and Jum'ah. Okay. So for non-Jum'ah, I said that if your girl, or even a boy, yani, and it cuts out and you can't see anything or whatever, but it's going to be a girl, isn't it? Yeah, You either carry on alone, that's my position, that's what I like, you know, suck off that. Someone else steps in, yeah, we said that someone will step forward and then they will lead the Salah, or a person repeats the Salah alone. Did I say that? I never said that, did I? 
repeats the salah alone. I don't think I said that, but I mean, it could be an option if like, you know, you completely, you know, you completely broke and said, right, I've had enough of this, you know, and you just got angry and you just sat down and you said, you know, I had a little rant and then you, right, and then you went to the corner. Yeah, okay, you'd have to repeat the prayer. I don't think I mentioned that, but yeah, technically it's an option. Then you mentioned that for Jumu'ah, there are only two options. What are the two options? Did I mention two options? Maybe that's where it's gone wrong. The two options are going to be someone steps forward or you pray by yourself. So in terms of someone stepping forward, okay, that could technically happen, all right? Because remember, we do not, well, we haven't covered this, but it's not a condition of the khatib to be the imam. It's not a condition of the khatib to be the imam. So that Jumu'ah, theoretically, could be another person that steps forward. But now you're starting to see why I don't like this position of stepping forward. It creates all of these yani, unnecessary msail. So the simple scenario is if the voice cuts off, the loudspeaker cuts off, you're on your own, so be on your own. Just finish off your prayer. And as we know, when a person's praying by themselves, there is no Jumu'ah prayer because the congregation is a condition for it. So yes, you would pray Dhuhr. Okay, Sumaira? Is the humbly position for the ma'mum? The ma'mum. Is it me who's making everyone think it's ma'mum? Ma'mum. Because that's the second person. Ma'mum, okay, the one who's following. Is the humbly position for the ma'mum, the follower, not having to repeat the Fatiha after an error, only if the Imam can be heard, obviously. Look, obviously, you wouldn't know there was an error, would you? Right? Or is it for any congregational prayer? I think that's obvious. Yeah, because you can't hear. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. When reading Fatiha and saying dhikr between ayah is permitted, is this dhikr that can actually be said? Okay, we've answered this already. Yeah. Um, I just, it, 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 just in case my answer wasn't clear, I think that it should be avoided from the obligatory prayers because it just seems that they're the night kind of prayer thing. But if a person did say this dhikr yani in the obligatory salah, hearing an amazing ayah and saying subhanallah, I don't think the prayer is invalidated. In fact, there's a consensus that the prayer is not invalidated. But is it the sunnah? It's never been, repeat, it's never been narrated that it's in the sunnah. Oh yeah, Ahl Hadith Hardcore. Yes, correct. Well said. Jamiat Ahl Hadith Pakistanis, eh? Yeah, all the time. Correct. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Jumu'ah. Yeah. In the normal prayers? No. Did you hear in uh, the, them saying that in the normal prayers? Jumu'ah, yes, all the time. Yeah, like I said, fiqh and jamiat al hadith don't mix together. They are one of the rare groups of people, Markaz Jamiat al hadith yani, who actually transfer it from the sunnah to the obligatory. So if you ever are with them, you will always see them yani, make tasbih or making adhkar in the obligatory prayers. They, they say it carries over. The madahib and the, the imams, they're like, you know, let's keep it to the night prayers only and not. And like I said, it's no biggie. It's no major. Uh, when we said that if the follower intentionally doesn't read Fatiha, can you give an example of intent? Because the Imam will be reading anyway. What does that mean? Yeah. And so the Imam is like in a quiet salah, like an asr, and I do not recite it intentionally. So what's the question? What's the question? When we said, can you give an example of intentionally not following? Yeah, that would be an example, yeah. So if you follow the Hanafi school, 
you will intentionally still not recite Fatiha because the Hanafi school says that as long as the Imam is leading, their Fatiha covers your Fatiha, whether you hear it or not. That's an example. Uh, Faryal says, Alaikum Salam. Huh? To a, as a what? As a Hanafi? If a Hanafi turns up late, they're, they're covered. They're happy with that. They're covered. With regards to saying Athkar or... And I just want you to know that this position, a lot of non-Hanafis might think is ridiculous, but they apply the same opinion themselves if they come to the Ruku'ah. Do you understand? Yeah? They, they, they utilize the same position if, for example, you know, they enter into the masjid and the Imam might go for Ruku'ah yani after one second. Whatever he's just recited, they say, well, that's enough for me, yeah? And they'll catch the Ruku'ah. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot more to this position that meets the eye, you know. With regards to saying athkar or dua after an ayah, okay, I've said that. Is that only permissible in Arabic? Uh, we should focus it on it being in Arabic. Can we make the dua in our local language in Salah? I like it to be restricted to the Sunnah prayer only. And even then in the sajda, not any other parts of the prayer. If you want, then you can apply it in obligatory prayer too. But again, only in the sajda, okay? And that's a detailed issue I don't want to get into now about location. But for now, it's enough for you to know that it's obligatory prayer. And then Dina says, if you are in a Qiyam prayer and you got confused, and if you started your Raka'ah with the Fatiha, or you went into Qur'an, then yes, you do stop your recitation. You start Fatiha again, and then you carry on reciting. That is absolutely okay. Okay? Um, and it is okay to continue from mid-page. We're going to do that today. Are we done? And we'll do this as later as. <laughs> With that, you want beats, bro? That's what you want. What are you taking my, what are you taking my, my shade for? Ger, 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 there, there, ger, ger. Nom de ger, nom de ger. I'm going to have to check that. She's saying that it's nom de ger, not nom de ger. The problem is that she's French, Yanni, so I'm not going to mess about. She's Yanni, got French as her colloquial language or colonialist language. Depending how much you want to cuss her, but I mean, you know, we'll just keep it, we'll just keep it clean. <laughs> She's Canadian, man. They're French, yeah, they're not English. Anyway, so, alright, I take that. You know, I don't mind being corrected at all, especially by women, because that seems to happen every flipping lesson. Women just like, yeah, that's wrong. What was it last week? That's not in Hafs or something like that. It's true. We're not going to argue when it's true. Right, okay. So where are we now? We are... Lala, is there any notes? Uh, you have written them. Say Qasim. Kya bestia? Well, oh, last two weeks, the guy's taken some beats. He just took some pure revenge. Batman and Robin. By the way, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to just say something. That the admin of the Hajj with AE Facebook page has the Batman Robin video. Has the Batman Robin video. That's all I'm saying. And they were suggesting that they had a good idea of posting it with certain... <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I'm a basic guy. I'm a basic guy. Right. Um, in the Arabic, last week what we did, I think... We did for in, this is five lines down. For in qata'aha bi dhikrin aw sukootin ghayr mashru'aini wa ta'ala aw taraka minha tashdeedatan aw harfan aw tartiba lazima ghayr ma'mumin i'adithuha. That's what we did last week. 
roughly translated as if you interrupt um, uh, your Fatiha with a some dhikr or a uh, with a statement or a dhikr or a moment of silence which is not legislated and it becomes elongated, you make it a bit too long, or you leave from the Fatiha a emphasis or a uh, what did we agree that the tashdida was? What did we translate it as? We would. Is that what it was? Yeah, that's what we say. But what, what do you call that in English? We didn't translate it, yeah? We just left it as tashdida, yeah. Uh, or the letter or letters left out or the order of the statements, uh, then the uh, 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 everyone has got to repeat that other than the follower. So if the imam does it, okay, it's the imam's problem, not the guy who's following. That's what we did last week. What we're doing this week and if there's anything left from this week, yeah. Uh, that's enough. Yeah, we're not going to get all the way down there. All right. So now we will say, then he said, uh, then everybody will say, Amin out loud in the loud prayers. So everyone will say out loud, Amin in the loud prayers. And then recite after that, therefore meaning Amin, the a surah. A surah. Okay? That's the text that we're covering today, inshallah. Time, what's time? Mm, 40 minutes. Okay, all right, good. We've been told off, Yani. We've been told that we're making the lesson too long and that we should keep it short. And... Uh, who am I to argue with them? The, the wishes of the people. Yeah, I need. I'm a servant of the people. I wish I was the queen. You know something? You mentioned the queen. Did you know that the queen doesn't give all the OBEs out? Dr. Saab, did you get a quote from the queen? Did you have to do the whole behavior in... So you never got it from the queen either? What kind of flipping OBE is that? It's not an OBE. <laughs> what is it? Ob? Don't tell me you got a Duke of Edinburgh award. <laughs> Bro, are you serious? It was a BEM. What the hell's a BEM? to fight for his own honor and he has to say no, it was a BEM. Astaghfirullah, <laughs> she's at the screen. What is a BEM, man? Is that British Empire Medal? It's the lowest level of the ladder. OBE is up there. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so it wasn't given by the Queen? It wasn't not by the Queen. Ah, okay. All right.
just that I just saw the other day David Williams, Miskeen, yani he they said he got an OBE. And mm. then when I saw the picture, he got given it by Princess Anne. <laughs> what the heck? Can you imagine? You get the letter saying you got an OBE and you go in your Sunday best and you got bloody Princess Anne. You think what the door number is this? I came for the queen and I got this mosquito. Sugar man. What are we doing? Where are we? Where did the queen come from? <laughs> what was I doing? You know, I'm always messing up the class, man. Yeah. Oh, then it got to the queen. Right, right. Old class length, keeping it short. Right, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. All right, okay. Khalas, khalas, khalas. All right, bottom of, uh, so the top of page 67. So, uh, who, is the, who are the people then? Let's name all the people. If Al-Kul, meaning everyone, has to recite them, uh, recite the Ameen, okay, in a loud prayer, I want you to identify who those people are in Arabic. Imam, Ma'mum. Is it the two easy ones? Okay, tell me the third one in English at least. Okay, forget the Arabic, just tell me the English. Who's the third person? Huh? Angels? That escalated quickly. Literally. This ain't a thinking outside the box quiz. <coughs> we said everybody who is praying a loud prayer should say Amin. Yes? And I asked, who are those people? And I said, name them in Arabic. You chose the first two easy ones because it's easy. Imam, everyone knows. Ma'mum. Exactly. The person praying alone. I mean, well, it wasn't difficult, was it? The person praying alone. Al Munfarid. Yeah, I eat most of you all the time. Yes? I can't believe you're looking at me like as if it's like rocket science or something. Yeah. The normal person who's praying by themselves. These are only the three people who pray, right? You're praying by yourself, or you're praying as a follower, or you're praying as an imam. These are the three states. So the point is, is that all three of these people, if they're reciting a loud prayer, they recite Ameen. I guess maybe in fairness to you lot, maybe the reason you didn't say person praying alone is because you don't believe that a person praying alone raises their voice. Is that why? If, no, I didn't. You want to slow down. You want to slow down with that. I'm a big fan of reciting, not loud, loud. But anyway, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. Okay. Anyway, Sheikh then says, okay, Amman al-Imam, fawadih. That's obvious, yani, that the Imam is going to recite the Ameen loud. Okay, except of course it's not the case, isn't it? Because the Hanafi school doesn't. And a number of other scholars, they do not accept the Imam even reciting the Amin out loud. However, why do we recite it out loud? Why do the majority of scholars recite it out loud? Why do the majority of the companions do it? And why is it the class position and the humbly position? Because of that which is established from the Prophet ﷺ when he said, إِذَا أَمَّنَ الْإِمَامُ فَأَمِّنُوا and when the Imam says Amin, then you say Amin. This hadith narrated by Bukhari in the chapter of the Adhan, uh, the uh, side chapter, Bab Jahrul Imam Bitamin, the chapter of the Imam reciting Amin out loudly. Okay? 
Now, obviously, you can see a bit of politics there by Imam Bukhari. He is yani, big Shafi'i fan. He is making it very, very clear that the Hanafi's position is not supported. So he even named his chapter clearly to make it clear that this is a hadith and this is my fiqh position. Remember Bukhari, the way he does his fiqh is that he quotes a hadith and he puts his fiqh ruling in the chapter. In the chapter title, sorry. Indicates it. Little kind of ishar, little kind of play. Yeah. The chapter is the, the, the chapter, the book is the, 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 the book is the book of the Adhan, and the chapter is Bab Jahrul Imam Bita'meen. The reciting of the Ta'meem by the Imam out loudly. That's the chapter. And it's in the book of the Adhan. Yeah? So, He connected our Ameen with the Imam's Ameen. And if we don't hear it, how is that possible? So we're obvious that the Imam must say it out loud so that we can then say it. Otherwise, there'll be no point to the Hadith. Okay? Uh, 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 so that's the first thing. That's the first uh, 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 evidence. And also, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has been narrated that he used to say the, uh, the Ameen loudly. Okay? In other Hadith. And you can see those in the narrations at the bottom. We have some narrated by Abu Dawood and At-Tirmidhi. And uh, we have, yani so many. I mean, that's a mutawatir yani, uh, uh, point. And also, the Ma'mumun. Ma'mumun, or Ma'mumin, depending upon the state, is the people who are behind, the Jama'ah. They also say Amin loudly as well. Just like the companions used to do that behind the Prophet until the masjid would shake. So it's very well narrated, um, narrated by Ibn Majah in the, in, the, in the book of establishing the prayer, the chapter of saying the Ameen out loud, hadith number 7853. Uh, this narration makes it clear that the pillars, I remember they were wooden. Very simple, okay? That when the Prophet ﷺ would pray and he would say, Ameen, the companions said, Ameen, and the rafters would shake. Literally, the rafters would shake. They were not nailed in with proper nails, very loose. Everything was very loose. And there was big major vibration would occur in the masjid. So this is, وَهَذِهِ sunnah Okay? This is a clear, established, authentic sunnah. As for the one who is praying by themselves... So we've covered the two. Now the guy who's praying by himself. So if he recites his prayer out loud, then he says his Ameen out loud. And if he recites his prayer quietly, that means even his Maghrib and Isha. So even the loud prayers, if there's a person at home who recites those prayers quietly, then he recites his Ameen quietly. And if he recites his prayers alone out loud, then he says his Ameen out loud. That's a simple uh, a position. Okay? Um, the evidence for that? The action of the Prophet. ﷺ. It is clear that we did not hear him, say, hear him say ever, narrated authentically, that he said Ameen in Dhuhr or Asr or uh, uh, in any of these prayers. Okay? Um, and Sheikh then says, as for the person who's praying alone, if he's praying the night prayer and he sometimes realizes, and this is what I would have said, that he realizes that it's better for his khushur to recite out loud which is sometimes the case, a person feels better, then he says, Ameen. And sometimes there's a time where he doesn't want to recite out loud, doesn't feel like it, or he fears that other people will know that he's praying, so he's keeping it quiet, etc. So he's not going to say Ameen. So that's depending upon the actual volume of the prayer itself. Um, 
Uh, obligatory? Correct. Correct. It is same for the obligatory prayer. It is not, this is important, okay? It is not obligatory to recite the loud prayers out loud. Okay? That's their nature. All right? Uh, we're going to come to that. There is difference of opinion upon that. But, you know, I've done that a number of times. I've led the prayer Salat al-Maghrib and completely forgotten there's people behind me. Like, completely. They're all waiting and I'm like, you know, I'm reciting happy as, happy as Larry. And then I've just gone Allahu Akbar and they're obviously bamboozled. And obviously then when you kind of hear a bit of, you know, commotion, you're thinking, oh, rah, I forgot. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, if they... Sorry, Lala. Okay, so as long as you, I know that you're not part of the circle, that's that, yeah, you know, in your own world. You're trying to find out what BEM means. <laughs> what are you doing on your phone? What are you doing on your phone? What are you on your phone? BEM. BEM. I can tell what BEM means. I'm now getting questions on my phone rather than reports. See, that's what happens. That's what happens when you become too soft. I'm so glad that that was picked up in a microphone. You hear what he says, like a personal service now. You know this like kind of stroppy little, little, and he, uh, he's gonna, bro, you know what? You know what's so irritating by taking Shazad and never take him again, ever, anywhere. Everywhere. Never. Everywhere. <laughs> MVP, and why? Everyone loves him. Oh, you're the guy that he gets bullied. And, oh, you always get picked on. And ah, oh, ah, oh, he was driving me nuts. And then I was so happy that the real Shazad came out. You know? Oh, I want everybody's receivers. I was everybody, blah, blah. I want and there was the you know, Americans, they were like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they were not used to this behavior at all. I said, you see, this guy, he's not what people make him out to be. He's not the nice guy that everyone thinks. I'm the guy who gets bullied. I am. He's not nice guy. He's not nice guy. Anyway. Where am I? Yeah, that's that last 15 minutes, bro. Solo. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. If a person, um, Sheikh asks, what does Amin even mean? Amen. amen. <laughs> Obvious answer, Amen. What does Amen? <laughs> That's fair enough answer, that. Nothing wrong with that. Amen. What does Amen mean? That's exactly what it means. No, actually, no. It doesn't mean accept it. Yes. Allah mustajib. Yani respond, Ya Allah. We're waiting, Yani, for your response. So it's actually a bit more forceful than Yani, Ya Allah, accept. It has the effective, consequential same meaning. But it's Yani, Ya Allah, we wait for your Yani response. Yeah? Allah mustajib. Um, which is interesting. Uh, okay. Another interesting point, the fuqaha, they mentioned a couple of things, and I want to just quote to you a few things from Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shanqiti and also from uh, Al Mughni, and also what Sheikh Uthameen asks. He says, if a person shaddad al meem, okay, how would you make tashdeed on the meme? 
Amin. Okay? Um, or even if you go Amin or Amin, what happens? What happens if you do that? Sheikh Uthameen says that meaning has changed. Amin means Qasidin. Yani there is yani, a person, he has an expectation, he has a hope of yani, doing something. Okay? And it changed, that meaning has changed. And so therefore some of the fuqaha said that the prayer is invalidated. Okay? And therefore they said it is haram to make shadda upon the meme. Okay? Because he, came for, he entered into the prayer a statement from humans, human statement. Not even yani, that from dhikr, not that from Arabic fusha, not that from yani, the Quran. You know, this is a concept which I'll just touch upon now. It is going to be very important. Okay? You know, uh, in the Quran, sorry, in the Salah, one of the things which invalidates the Salah is foreign speech. Those who have studied Fiqh Salah with me will remember this section. Because when you see foreign speech, people are thinking, and who's going to recite French yani, and German in the prayer? Okay? That's not what foreign speech means. Foreign speech means kalam from another jins. Okay? So what that means is foreign to the speech in the prayer. Now, foreign to the speech in the prayer does not even mean a change in language. It means foreign to the genus of the language. So jins is genus. It's the type. And the type of language in the salah is all dhikr. It's all dhikr. It's not just Arabic. It's Arabic which is established dhikr. That's why you've got to protect the obligatory prayer from the whole sunnah kind of encroachment of the English in the dua and whatever. So if you understand that, then that would mean that if a person was to sneeze in the salah, yeah, he says alhamdulillah, what would happen? Because? Correct. The majority of scholars say nothing because Alhamdulillah is from the jins of the prayer itself. It's from the jins of dhikr. Right? It's the same type of speech that the Quran is. If a person was to, in the middle of salah, say, Allah, that's fine. That's from jins of dhikr. Jins of Quran, jins of Arabic, jins of whatever. Even though that's not whatever. That's a very good one. Wa alaykum as-salam. Wa alaykum as-salam. What do you think? So we've got no. Invalidates. No, no, no. Yep, yep, they did, correct. The companions did use to return salam, but how? With their hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different, we're a different time now. Different zamana, bro. What do you think then, guys? Alaikum assalam. Yeah, I put the my thing on, man. You see, you know, he said, you know, you remember, he said, I don't care about the people anymore. You see? We don't have time, 
everyone's yani, accepting, everyone is, is, is talking about, yeah, whatever. Right. It, no, it invalidates as you are talking to someone else. So that's what the majority of you guys have been saying, what the girl saying. Alaikum salam. What are we saying? Invalidates, yeah? I think that Wa Alaikum Salam does nothing to the prayer. Because Wa Alaikum Salam is a dhikr, yes. It's not foreign language, it's Arabic, and it's not just Arabic, it is Sunnah. It has been said by the Prophet. So, that's something else. Whether it's part of conversation or, or you know, speaking to someone else or whatever, we shouldn't be speaking to people in the prayer. The prayer, yani speaking invalidates the prayer. But we're talking about someone saying Wa Alaikum Salam. No, but um, I, I haven't, we, have, we haven't created another person in this. We just said, what if you said, Wa alaykum as salam? Just, yani, or maybe responding to an ayah where it says, Salamu alaykum, tibatum, yani. How's that different? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the point. Okay, what about a person? He says, he's in the salah, he goes, Zayk. Zayek yani is like Egyptian for like, how are you? What do you reckon? What's wrong with that? Because it's, it's Egyptian. It's not Fusha. It's not, it's Arabic, but it's not Fusha. It's not whatever. That's a major problem. I just want you to understand the concept of genus. Okay, the genus of Salah is Dhikr. It's Arabic Dhikr. And once you go away from that, that's when you've got the problem. Okay, you are into a major area of doubt and risk once you move away. But if you stay within the kind of dhikr, tasbih type of Arabic types of words that can be uh, maintained, yeah. that's why, by the way, our people in salah, what do they say when, when you call out to them? What, when you call your mom, what does she say in salah? <laughs> Allahu Akbar. All moms do that. Standard. Subhanallah is what you're meant to say. But yani, the packs, they go Allahu Akbar all the time. Or like the uncles they do when someone makes a mistake. You don't hear them saying Subhanallah. I mean now, I mean this is the, this is the, the power of the da'wah by the way. In the last 20 years we've seen a major change. 20, 30 years ago you go into a masjid. The uncles would, didn't even know what Subhanallah meant in the salah. Anyone made a mistake? I remember yani, in the, when I was 30 years ago, I remember 20 years ago, and I would even argue up to 10 years ago. You're in a masjid with the normal kind of Muslims and uncles, and the imam makes a mistake, the only thing you hear is Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar from the people. And in the last 10 years, the message has got through after you know, slow education that it is subhanAllah. All right, so it's a big change. But Allahu Akbar is the standard. Why has that been chosen? Because they know that as long as it's some kind of Arabic yani, that indicates I'm busy or indicates yani, whatever. When I, used to knock on my, when I used to knock on the door when my mom was praying, she'd just say Allahu Akbar in the middle of whatever she's reciting. All the time. And I say, all right. All right. That's cool. Right. Where are we now? Uh, all right. Next one is when do you say Ameen? When do you say Ameen? The Prophet ﷺ said, if the Imam says Ameen, then say Ameen. Yeah? So when do you say it? After the Imam says it? Or with? Huh? Same time. With. 
But the Prophet ﷺ, he said, he said, what did he say? I saw the hadith here. إِذَا كَبَّرَ فَكَبِّرُوا The Prophet ﷺ said that يعني, when the Imam says Allahu Akbar, then say Allahu Akbar. When do you do that? No, you don't. It's after. That's after. Okay. So now you're saying when the Imam, the Prophet says the exact same thing. When the Imam says Ameen, then say Ameen. Go on. Yes. Good. Good. So that's so, so good. So I want you to know the difference here is, is that the reason we've made a difference between the two is because of supporting evidence. So in principle, F in the Arabic language indicates something which comes after. So the actual hadith taken literally is yani if the Imam then says, if the Imam says Ameen, then you say Ameen, the correct answer would have been afterwards. Okay? Because that's the basic principle established by other hadith. However, we have clear evidence. Number one, the Prophet ﷺ, he said um, that whoever reaches after waladdalin, okay, then they say Ameen. So first of all, the evidence indicates after where it starts. It starts after waladdalin. Okay? Secondly, we have the hadith that the angels also say Ameen. And the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever's Ameen, Ta'meen it's called, whoever's Ta'meen uh, coincides with the Ta'meen of the angels. Very powerful hadith. All of the sins of that person that he or she did are forgiven. The minor sins, of course. Simply by making the Ta'meen. Also, another hadith which I really love. Then the other hadith. There's another hadith. Whoever's ta'meen coincides with the ta'meen of the imam and the malaika, then the sins will be forgiven. This one has that addition of the imam. Why do I have a little bit of a problem with this? I don't want to say the hadith is weak, but it does indicate that it's an extra. Because sometimes the imam can mess it up as well. You know what I'm saying? The imam yani, might do a little cheeky, yani, everyone's getting ready for a thing, and he goes, I mean. <laughs> and then he just messed us all up. Yani. We're all there getting ready for the big yani, yani, and you know. My guy pulls out and, you know, game over. Yeah, and I don't know what the angels do at that moment. We're all stuck, yani, aren't we? Yes? So there's going to be some fiqh from the imam as well. So are we saying, yani, this sunnah is going to be lost because of the imam's yani, ignorance of saying something like that? I find that difficult. So I do believe that if a person yani, follows a sunnah, which is, yani, There is a basic understanding that there is a small gap after walad dalin and that the imam should yani, jump in himself and not leave a massive elongated uh, you know, pause and then say it right at the, at the end. And I think if a person practices a normative approach to this, they'll get the reward. That's what I believe. Okay? And Allah knows best. The other, of course, important hadith is the importance of saying this properly. Okay? Now, saying it properly, loud is not just the key thing here. It's the unison. It's the power. And the power is indicated in which hadith? The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he said that the Jews are jealous of you people for two things. What are the two things? And saying ameen, your ameen, your ta'meen, 
Because the Jews can do whatever they want, but they don't have the unity of the Muslims when it comes to that. And there's one thing that gets to them. Yeah? How we can all be from all people, all everywhere, and everyone in the masjid just says, Ameen. And it sounds beautiful, feels right, it coincides with the Imam. Not too loud, not too quiet. Okay? A lot of people go mental on the Ameen. You know, the kids go, Ameen, what the heck is that? <laughs> yeah? They need to be taught about that. It's got to be yani calm. But what's the second thing? Let's finish this off. Have a think. Huh? Nope. 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 There you go. Mesa takes all the reward. It's the salams. Okay? It's the giving of salams. Which is again, if you think about it, it's those things which unify. There are very few things that unify the Muslims like the salam and the ta'meen. Ta'meen everyone does wherever they are. But the salam is very, very powerful. Because the Prophet ﷺ heavily, heavily criticized the person who does what? With salams? Huh? No, no, no. Salam, salam. Assalamu alaikum. Huh? No. No. Well, that's from Quran. Quran, we know that a person has to respond. No, no. We know that from the Quran. No. That's, that's, all, that's a good point. I wasn't thinking about that, but that's a very good point. Think about the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ emphasizing when there's a problem between people, that the best of them is the one who initiates Islam. So that's good, Abbas. I wasn't thinking of that though. No. What is the one who's very heavily criticized? No. No. We know that that's a given because that's in the Quran. You have to. It's obligatory to respond to Islam. Without doubt. But who is heavily criticized? Think of it from a unity point of view. Correct. Only people who give salams to those who they know. And they don't give. The Prophet ﷺ said, yani, the people who don't give salams, who they don't know. That's against the sunnah. The whole thing that the Jews are jealous about is that you guys unify simply by identity of Muslims and you'll send peace upon them. You get what I'm saying? That's the, that's the concept of tatmeen uh, uh, as well. Um, and um, uh, I think... Yeah, go on. Yeah? In the silent prayers, there's no Amin. So I'm going to read something to you. I'm glad you said that. Fossil, chapter. Imam Ibn Qudama says in Al Mughni. I was reading this earlier on and I thought this would be nice. But if in Nasi al Imam at Amin, yeah, so if he forgets to say the Amin, Amman al Ma'mum, the people who are behind will say Ameen and they will raise their voice الإمام, to remind the Imam himself to come with it too because it is a verbal Sunnah that if um, the Imam leaves then the, the, the Ma'moom brings it yani the, Imam, the, the, the follower does it such as and this is why I like this point as the Isti'adha so, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem is a sunnah of the prayer. Agreed? But the Imam doesn't say it. Agreed? Yet we all do in the prayer. Agreed? So that's something yani, which is done the same as the, as the Ameen. The only difference with the Ameen is that Ameen is a loud statement. But it's still a sunnah which is a verbal sunnah. وَإِنْ أَخْفَاهَا الْإِمَامِ جَهْرَ بِهَا الْمَأْمُونَ So if the Imam didn't forget it, but he said it quietly, the follower will say it out loud. 
لما لما ذكرناه أوكي وإن ترك تأمين نسيانا أو عمدا حتى شرع في القراءة السورة لم يأتي به لأنه سنة فات محلها That's an interesting statement to end with and I'll close with that He said however if the Imam was to so, if the Imam, so let's look at them Imam forgets it you say it Imam says it quietly you say it loud 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 if the Imam